the most terrifying monsters are those who walk amongst us, with smiles on their faces and malice in their hearts. The most horrible of monsters are those who prey on the weak, the sick. These angels of death strike when they're needed, when their patients cannot care for themselves. When medical professionals decide to harm, they turn their backs on all they've been taught. Such was the case of Jane Toppin, one of America's first serial killers, who claimed to have murdered at least 31 people, perhaps as many as 100, from the years of 1887 till 1901. I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. The shadows on the wall sway, somehow forming a phantom. She's dying, it whispers. I say nothing but a slight smile curls on my lips. You're a monster, it tells me, its voice deep with admonishment. I shake my head no, but still stay quiet. I focus my eyes on the candlelight. I'm mesmerized by the flame, and I pay no mind to the phantom who appears nightly to try to evoke some kind of guilt. It believes that there's some part of me, some seed buried deeply, that feels remorse for the deaths that I've caused. But it doesn't know me. It doesn't know the black emptiness of my soul. There's nothing there. No seed of kindness. No amount of mercy. Save her, it whispers, voice soft and pleading. My lips twist upward again. It wouldn't be long now. Lovely, my sweet little landlord would not see another sunrise. It's for the better, you know. Once they get her age, they become unbearable. Lovely's bed groans as she moves in the other room. I blow out the candle and watch as the smoke dissipates like air from the lungs until there's nothing left. Miss Dunham, how are you feeling? I ask her, but I know she won't be able to answer. Like all those I've poisoned before, by this point, they're rarely coherent. Or maybe their thoughts are just locked inside their minds, clawing at their lips, but never finding a way out. I brush her gray hair out of her face and lean down to kiss her cheek. The warmth is starting to fade. You'll see your husband soon, I tell her, remembering how I'd killed him two years earlier when he'd become grumpy and fussy. I pull the blanket back and crawl into bed with her and lean over her. I pry her eyelids open, staring at the world inside them, 
the soul, a brilliant color of light within her, within them all. Before she's gone, I whisper in her ear, Tell them all I said hello. Phantoms, dozens and dozens of them, surround the bed. They're always here, watching me, hoping to somehow scare me from committing these deadly deeds. But I'm not afraid of them. Life has never been kind to me, so I merely return the favor, stealing it from everyone I can. Lovely took one last breath. It felt warm on my face as she exhaled that final time, her eyes turning into a black void that seems to form on all of them when they die. The light, like the candle, has been blown out, and nothing but darkness remains. Jane Toppin was born Honora Kelly on March 31st of 1854. She was the daughter of Irish immigrants. Her mother died of tuberculosis when she was very young, and her father was an abusive alcoholic. There were rumors that her father was insane, people claiming that he'd sewn his own eyelids shut. Jane didn't form critical attachments to her family at an early age, which may have caused her inability to feel affection or love later on. This lack of attachment may have affected her ability to show empathy or feel guilt and could have led to other long-term social and cognitive problems. In 1860, when Jane was only six years old, her father took her and her sister to the Boston Female Asylum and never saw them again. The Boston Female Asylum was an orphanage that would receive, protect, and instruct female orphans until the age of 10, after which the girls would be placed with respectable families. Two years after her father left her, eight-year-old Jane became an indentured servant to Mrs. Ann C. Toppin of Lowell, Massachusetts. Ann Toppin was a widow who lived in a large home with her daughter and promised Jane would want for nothing. But Mrs. Toppin didn't really want another daughter. She wanted a domestic servant and treated Jane as such. But Jane then took on their family name and became close with the Toppin's daughter, Elizabeth. For the next 10 years, Jane served the Toppin family, despite Mrs. Toppin's constant criticism. Jane's other sisters didn't fare any better. One of them, Nellie, was placed in an insane asylum, and the other, Delia, became a sex worker. The Toppins told people that Jane was Italian and that her parents had died at sea. Perhaps this lie was meant to distance her from her father's reputation or the then stigma of being an Irish immigrant. Such lies in the early part of her life may have contributed to Jane's thinking that lies, even big ones, were perfectly acceptable. When she was in school, she made many friends, but again, she told a lot of lies. With all the sad and dark details surrounding her real family, perhaps Jane wanted to invent a new life. She'd said that her father had sailed around the world, 
and her sister had married an English nobleman. She also claimed to have had a brother decorated by Abraham Lincoln because of his efforts at the Battle of Gettysburg. By 18, she had graduated school and was free from her indenture, but she still decided to stay with the Toppins as a servant. Jane continued working for Mrs. Toppin and Elizabeth until Mrs. Toppin died. While working for them, Jane saw Elizabeth's life blossom with fortune and love. Although Elizabeth was always kind to her, Jane's jealousy and resentment grew, and Jane finally decided to leave and hopefully start afresh with a hopeful promise of a better life. You know I really like coffee, right? And I consume a lot of it while writing and producing Fabled. If you'd like to buy me one ever so often, head over to patreon.com forward slash Fable Collective. Coffee, my favorite form of black magic. She began training to be a nurse at Cambridge Hospital in 1887. She was 30 at the time. She seemed to be well-liked. People even started calling her Jolly Jane. She had a strong work ethic and charmed everyone around her. But it wasn't long before students began to catch her in her lies and grew to dislike her. Learning how medications affected patients and growing more and more familiar with how much power she wielded as a nurse, Jane's lifelong feeling of powerlessness began to erode. Now she was the one who decided other people's fates. She made the choices. She didn't want to let go of the patients she liked. Once they were well enough to leave, she'd begin giving them small amounts of medication to make them feel unwell again, so that they'd need to stay a little longer. But they weren't the only ones getting extra doses of medication. Those she didn't like, got even more, but with deadly results. Jane falsified records and experimented with various medications, studying how patients reacted to the drugs, and seemingly curious how far she could take them before they'd pass away. She developed a poisonous cocktail of choice, morphine first and then atropine. She'd serve her patients the concoction in a bitter-tasting mineral water, popular at the time for helping digestion to mask the taste of the poison. She had become obsessed with autopsies, and the hospital administration grew concerned. Other odd things began to happen as well. One of Jane's patients, Amelia Finney, claimed that Jane gave her a dose of bitter medication after her surgery, which caused her to lose consciousness. Finney claimed that Jane had crawled into bed with her, kissing her face and gazing into her eyes. But something suddenly caused her to stop. Finney later admitted that she could have been dreaming. She would realize much later when news of Jane's arrest hit the papers she hadn't been dreaming, after all. In 1889, Jane killed 70-year-old Mary McLear. A month later, she killed a close friend of hers because she wanted her job, which, of course, she got, but couldn't keep. 
Later, Jane worked at the Massachusetts General Hospital, but that job was short-lived. And in 1891, Jane had been fired from both Massachusetts and Cambridge Hospital for giving out opiates indiscriminately. Despite her years of training, Jane would never receive her nursing license. Yet doctors still recommended her to their wealthy clients when they needed a private nurse. After all, in their eyes, Jane was well-liked and knew how to do her job well. And being a private nurse gave her a sense of freedom. Jane had two sides to her. Outside of work, she loved to drink, gossip, tell dirty jokes, and seemingly ruin people's relationships. But she also seemed kind and professional to those she worked with. When she attended school, students remembering her saying that there was no point in keeping older people alive. Jane's heartlessness cracked through her fake facade early on. Nevertheless, Jane went on to befriend her landlords, killing him and his wife. She claimed that they had gotten old and cranky. Being an in-home nurse required nearly round-the-clock care and wasn't for everyone. Working in a hospital allowed Jane to kill without causing much notice. After all, people die in the hospital all the time. Working for herself, she knew she had to be more careful. She didn't want to gain the reputation of a nurse whose patients always die in her care, so she began to target others around her. And in the 1890s, two people closest to her were Israel and Lovely Dunham, her landlords. They began to become fond of her and were grateful for the income she provided them by being their tenant. She even began to tend to their medical needs. And in May of 1895, Jane had grown tired of Israel and poisoned him. Two years later, she killed Lovely Dunham as well. Since they both were elderly, foul play was never considered. Jane's difficult life had festered and haunted her all these years. The one person who had obtained the life she wanted, the one person who had it all, was Elizabeth, her foster sister. When Jane invited Elizabeth to vacation with her on the beaches of Cape Cod, Elizabeth accepted, seeing it as an opportunity to catch up with her dear foster sister. Elizabeth had been battling depression and thought it might help to be around Jolly Jane. On August 26th of 1899, Jane prepared a picnic for her and Elizabeth. When they returned to the cabin, Elizabeth felt unwell. Jane gave her strychnine and mineral water and watched Elizabeth succumb to the poison three days later. Jane said, I held her in my arms and watched in delight as she gasped her life out. You see, she'd had her eyes on Elizabeth's husband. Within three days, she killed their elderly housekeeper too. She wanted to win Elizabeth's husband over with her housekeeping skills, and when that didn't work, she decided to poison him just enough so that he'd need her to nurse him back to health. And when that still didn't do it, she threatened to claim he'd gotten her pregnant. Enraged, he kicked her out of the house. Jane attempted suicide by overdosing on morphine, but survived. And her killing spree continued. 
but by 1901, Jane had landed on the police's radar. A state detective in Massachusetts began following her around, suspecting that she'd killed the entire Davis family, who Jane had rented a cottage from. When she didn't keep up with the rent, Jane took them out one by one. First the wife, then the husband, and their two married daughters. After exhuming one of the bodies and ordering a toxicology report, it was determined that foul play had been involved in these deaths. Jane was arrested in October of 1901 and went to trial in 1902. She told her lawyers that she had killed at least 31 people, but it could have been up to 100. When asked why, Jane said her desire to kill began after a boyfriend broke up with her when she was 16 years old. She'd said that she wouldn't have started killing if she was married and a mother. She claimed that if she had her own family, her mind would have been occupied with other things. But her life went another way, and she sought out these patients to experience a sexual, perverse thrill. According to an article in the Hoosier State Chronicles shortly after her arrest, she drugged patients, crawled into bed with them, and fondled them. She'd also try to see their souls' movements through their eyes. A jury found Jane not guilty by reason of insanity. She spent the remainder of her life in Totten State Hospital. When she first arrived at the asylum, she was afraid to eat because she thought she might be poisoned. Ironic, right? During her time in the Totten State Hospital, she tried repeatedly to recruit other nurses to take up her plight and kill other patients with her, promising them great fun in watching people die. Jane Toppin died on August 17, 1938, at the age of 84. She's been quoted saying that her greatest ambition was to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles, with music by Kevin McLeod and Epidemic Sound. I recently started a Discord channel for Fabled listeners. If that's something that interests you, I will leave a link in the show notes. Otherwise, please stop and say hello on Instagram or TikTok at Fable Collective. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>